0: Welcome to the Mindset and Motivation Podcast, one of the top motivational podcasts in the world. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we come out with a short, to the point, no BS episode to help make massive changes in your mind and transform you from who you are now to who you want to be. My name is Rob Dial, and the podcast starts now. If you have not yet done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. Today's episode is a very special one. It's actually an interview uh, with my good friend Hal Elrod, and uh, he has a new book coming out. It actually comes out this next week coming up called The Miracle Equation. Uh, if you don't know who Hal is, he actually wrote the crazy successful book called The Miracle Morning. And The Miracle Equation is his new book that just came out. And uh, the reason why I had him on is number one, he's only doing a few interviews with a few people. I think it was five or six. Uh, we were one of them. So you guys get to learn about The Miracle Equation. And uh, for those of you guys that listen to this, you're interested in his new book, and you decide that you uh, want to pre order it, there's actually $1,347 in bonuses. Uh, that you get for pre-ordering it so if you pre-order the book and then send an email to them they explain how to do it if you go to the the website uh, this is what you get just for pre-ordering the book you get a six-week live class with hal on how to create tangible measurable miracles in your life um, you get the miracle equation limit li- uh, miracle equation limitless potential guided meditation And you also get a two-page printable miracle equation implementation guide. But I think the biggest part of that is the six-week live interactive course of how to create tangible, measurable miracles. Uh, And you get that absolutely free if you pre-order the book. So um, if you want to go ahead and pre-order the book, all you have to do is go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of those books, uh, those book companies online, get it from there, and then send your information to www.miracleequationbook.com. So if you go to MiracleEquationBook.com, it'll tell you exactly how to enter in all of your information. Um, Order it on Amazon and uh, send your receipt to MiracleEquation at gmail.com. Claim your bonuses there. And uh, I think you guys are gonna love this episode. He's been speaking about the Miracle Equation for a long time, ever since I've known him, so 13 years now. Uh, So it's great to see that he finally put this into a book. Uh, But without further ado, I hope that you guys all pre-ordered this book. I hope you go out and get it. Uh, But without further ado, this is the interview with Hal Elrod. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. I'm excited for this is literally the fourth time that we've had you on this podcast now. Uh, I pay you a lot of money, though, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, So I paid you a lot of money back in the day, actually. (laughs) So uh, if you've never listened to the podcast before, you might not know who Hal Elrod is. If you have listened to it, you've probably heard him speak before. But we have something super exciting because today it is a brand new book that's going to be coming out that we're going to be talking about called The Miracle Equation. So uh, Hal Elrod, thank you for having us in your beautiful house. Thanks for, uh, for being here and thank you for inviting the, uh, the crew that we have as well. I always like to, uh, to acknowledge people in the background. So, uh, hey, my wife's over there. She, Andrew, she wife's needs, over here. She's she likes a, credit. She's, 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 <laughs> she likes she, she, credit. Uh, so, uh, we're here to talk about a little bit about your story so people know more about you, um, and then also talk about your new book called The Miracle Equation as well. So, um, so let me ask you the question, tell me, tell me about your story and tell me why you decided to write this book. You had a massive book called The Miracle Morning, um, but tell me you know, a little bit about your story if someone's never heard of you, and then also about the, uh, the idea behind the book as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, a lot of people say I should be dead. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, Actually, clinically, I was dead when I was 19 years old. I died for six minutes. I was in a coma for six days. Um, I had been hit head on by a drunk driver on the freeway at 70 miles an hour. And I was driving home from a work meeting that night. And, you know, like on top of the world, life was great. I just bought a brand new Ford Mustang three weeks prior, you know, and at at 19, I think I was 20 actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I, that was my dream car back then that I could afford. And, Uh, Driving home that night, drunk driver got on the freeway and crashed into me head on. I spun off the drunk driver, another car hit me in the door at 70 miles an hour. And most of the injuries came from this driver, this innocent 16-year-old kid who crashed into my door at 70 miles an hour and Hmm. instantly broke 11 bones in my body from the impact of the door crushing into my body. Uh, I broke my pelvis in three places. Uh, I broke my leg in half. Uh, I broke my arm in half shattered my elbow, severed the nerve in my forearm, punctured my lung, ruptured my spleen, fractured my eye socket in three places, uh, and had permanent brain damage. And uh, I bled to death on the side of the freeway after the uh, fire department pulled me out of the car with the jaws of life. Hmm. And I was clinically dead for six minutes. Then I was rushed to the hospital. They revived me on the way on the helicopter. I was in a coma for six days. And when I came out of the coma, they said I would never walk again. And I... uh, this thing called the miracle equation that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. it, I had developed it about a year uh, before and I looked back on it and realized that it was the key to overcoming uh, adversity overcoming the odds if you will and the key to achieving results that we really want in our lives mm-hmm. so whether somebody has something they're dealing with right now that is really difficult you know some adversity some challenges personally professionally uh, physically and they need to overcome them or if someone's Life's good, but they're just they're trying to achieve more. They're trying to be more successful. Uh, it was really this formula that I'd used to do both. And so I thought, if I'm gonna defy the odds and walk again, mm-hmm. which the doctors say is impossible, um, I'm gonna need a miracle. And I leveraged the miracle equation, which is really, well, we can talk more about it, but it's these yeah. two simple decisions. And three weeks after I was found dead, two weeks after I came out of the coma, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, we don't know how to explain it, Hal, but your body's healing mm-hmm. and we're gonna let you take your first step today in therapy. And even I wasn't that optimistic, I was thinking maybe you know six months, a year, mm-hmm. three weeks later I took my first step and you know the, the rest is kind of history as they say and, and went on to heal. Um, two years ago I was diagnosed with a very rare aggressive form of cancer, acute lymphoblastic leukemia and I was given a 30% chance of living. Uh, actually it was a 10 to 30% chance depending on kind of where I fell. And, mm-hmm. Uh, I have a wife and I have two babies. I have two kids that are nine and six at the time. They were seven and four Mm -hmm. and I had more to lose than ever. Um, And it was, you know, I mean, anybody listening could put themselves in that shoes. Like what if you were told that you had a 30% chance of living, uh, which, and I always say for you glasses, half empty folks, that's a 70% chance you're going to die. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's saying you're going to die in the next six months, 70% chance that's going to happen and it was literally you know, the first day as I'm racking my brain going, how am I gonna beat this? In other words, it was, how am I gonna turn that 30% into 100%? Yeah. For me, for my family, uh, for my future, and the miracle equation, is the, it really is what came to my mind. And my wife, can, you know, she'll tell you, I said, sweetie, I'm gonna beat this with the miracle equation. And you know, I had to remind her what that was. And, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but again, I had seen the miracle equation not only work in my own life, but back when I first applied it, I started applying it to my sales career and teaching it to person after person after person. And it was almost 100% success. Everyone I taught it to surpassed anything they'd ever accomplished before. And that's where my my belief in the formula, the validity grew. I'm like, oh, this isn't a fluke. This mm-hmm. isn't just me. Anyone who applies this, it can radically transform their life. And so I decided that that's how I was going to beat cancer. and um, exceedingly grateful to say that you know it's been two years since I was diagnosed and a little over a year since I've been in remission which is mm-hmm. meaning cancer free and uh, now the miracle equation I just am applying it to you know staying cancer free but you know the next miracle that I'm trying to create uh, in my life
0: so tell me about you said you originally developed it when you were in a sales contest right yeah so tell me about how the actual start of it came and, and you decided that you're going to start I guess the idea you were telling me earlier came to you when you're actually sitting in bed. So tell me about, about the plan of starting the sales push and how everything changed and then how the equation came from that.
1: Yeah, so yeah, and I think I just said that backwards. The accident came first, but the miracle equation didn't come for about a year later.
0: Oh, the Miracle Equation was after the accident. It was a year later, and it was,
1: I looked back at the car accident when I, so we'll get into the story of the the development of the equation, but I looked back and I go, oh, that's how I walked again. Like, I realized I I wasn't consciously doing it, Mm -hmm. and what's interesting about the Miracle Equation is I didn't invent it. Like, I named it, but if you study the world's most successful people throughout the history of humanity, Mm -hmm. the world's most successful and prolific achievers and creators and innovators and you know artists, they all applied the miracle equation. And even athletes, like the world's greatest athletes, this is the formula. I just gave a name to it, yeah. right? So the way I developed it is I was trying to break a sales record uh, that had been, like it was coming up. It was like a week away and I was trying to do something that had never been done in the 50 year history of the company that I worked for. Mm-hmm. You happen to work for as well, that's how yeah. we met. Uh, and I was like, it was a 14 day contest and I was trying to sell $20,000 of kitchen knives, which no one had ever done this, uh, the way I was trying to do it. And I was, I had spent a week just getting my mind around it, like trying to develop the belief that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And 14 days was a short amount of time to hit this goal. And on the day before our contest started, I went to my sales meeting and the manager said, "Hal," uh, or he said to the office guys, just so everybody knows, remember, we don't have the full 14 days for this push period contest. This is a particularly short one. We only have 10 days yeah. because of the, the conference date. And I'm, and I'm go- like, my, my heart sank in my stomach. And I'm going, no, 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 no. There's no way. And then I'm thinking, yeah. okay, I, I, this probably doesn't count then. Like this probably won't count for what I'm trying to do. I could probably just get a pass on this one and do it on the next one. Mm-hmm. And I went to my manager after the meeting. I said, Frank, um, you know, please tell me that this this doesn't count for the rankings. Like this does. I'm trying to break this record, and he goes, "No, no. Th- th- this, sorry, help. This counts. Yeah. You've got to do 20,000. You've got to do it in 10 days." And I go, "There's no way." And that night, falling asleep, thinking, "Okay, maybe I just lower my goal. What should I do?" I just decided, you know what? If I don't reach the goal, but I give it everything I have until the last possible moment, who I become through that process is probably more valuable than whether or not I reach the goal. And it's the only thing that will make it possible for me to reach that goal. Mm-hmm. So I really, I asked myself, if I were to reach it, what would I have to do? And I, I really came up with two decisions. Number one, I would have to maintain faith in myself and that the goal was possible, unwavering faith, mm-hmm. every day, every moment, until the last possible moment. And that's not normal, right? That's counter, that's counter to our human nature because yeah. Normally, to establish the faith that we can do something we've ever done, never done before, only the world's most prolific achievers and artists, right? Before they become that, it's that first decision that I'm going to go after something that I have no evidence that I can do. For sure. I've never done it before. And then they maintain that faith throughout all the ups and the downs and the fears and the doubts. I thought, I've got to do that. I've got to maintain that unwavering faith. That was my first decision. And the second decision, I thought, I've got to put forth extraordinary effort. Mm-hmm. I've got to give it everything I have until the last possible moment, regardless of my results along the way. And you think about it, for most people, that's not normal, mm-hmm. right? What's normal is that you, you may, maybe you, have, you establish faith, like, I can do it, I believe in myself. But then as soon as things fall off track, you go, ah, yeah, no I was kidding yeah. myself. No, there's no way now, it's not yeah. looking good. And then what happens is when the faith goes out the window, the effort follows right behind it. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. If you're listening to this or you're watching this, when was the last time that you put forth extraordinary effort to reach a goal that you didn't really believe was going to happen? Yeah. We don't do that. Like, we only pursue goals that we believe are probable, right? Things we've done before, things that we've seen others do, things that we know how to do, things that are just a little bit better than what we've done in the past, right? right? But again, the world's greatest they go after things that are so far, that are quantum leaps, mm-hmm. that are so far beyond what they've ever done before. And so for me, I went, okay, if I'm gonna break this record and I'm gonna do it in you know, two thirds of the time I thought I had, I've gotta maintain unwavering faith and put forth extraordinary effort. And you know, the, how the story unfolded, uh, I mean, it's all in the book, but it is, it's kind of a long story, but, but it, was, it was miraculous. Where I'll, I'll give you the short version. The first week, so keep in mind, really easy math. I was trying to sell $20,000 of kitchen knives in 10 days. 2K a day. 2K a day, right? Real simple. So that meant the first week I had seven days for the first week, and then I had the abbreviated three-day week. I had to be at 14K after that first week. I was at 7K. Wow. So I was halfway where I needed to be. So my faith, it was wavering, right? Mm -hmm. But I decided, I committed ahead of time, okay, this is probably what's going to happen. So I kept saying, I'm committed to give it everything I have until the last possible moment, no matter what, there's no other option. That was my, I called it the miracle mantra, right? I'm committed to give it everything I have. So I went into the office and turned my orders in. And my manager said, Hal, how, how, man, are you, you on track for your goal? I said, Frank, dude, not even close, man. I'm at 7K, I'm, I'm 13K away and I have three days, right? I've sold 7K in seven days, somehow I have to sell 13,000 in three days. And he goes, oh, he goes, man, hey, you, you gave it your best effort, dude. Why don't you just go for a 10K push? God. And I said, Frank, I don't think you understand. I made an unwavering commitment that I will give it everything I have. There is no other option. I'm going to sell 20K. And, and I said, Frank, let me, let me let you in on the secret. I don't actually believe it, but I'm committed to it. Yeah. There's an, it's an interesting distinction, right? Yeah. Like, and that's what I, I talk about that in the book. I go, look, unwavering faith, it doesn't mean that you actually believe it. Like, If someone would have said, Hal, how much will you bet that you're gonna reach that goal? I'd have been like, nothing.
0: Yeah. right like I don't I
1: don't really believe it but here's the thing this is a strategy it's the like here's an example you look at the world's greatest athletes like I look at Michael Jordan right growing up Michael Jordan was was my favorite player in the NBA and when the game is on the line right and, and the team your team's down and there's only a few seconds left there's time for maybe one more shot and that shot everything is riding on that shot right It's game seven of the finals the entire season the entire championship. The average person, the average performer, and if you're in the NBA, the average performer is still one of the best in the world, For sure. but they don't want the ball because they, they, they have a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. But the world's best, and by the way, I call them miracle mavens, right? A maven comes from the Yiddish word maven, mm-hmm. which means one who understands. A miracle maven is someone who understands how to create miraculous, extraordinary results, right? And so Michael Jordan is a miracle maven, right? LeBron James is a miracle maven, or take any athlete. They want the ball. Why do they want the ball? Because at some point in their career, maybe it was early on, probably came from a mentor. Maybe they borrowed it from another player. They made a decision that they would maintain unwavering faith, whether they use that language or not. You might call it bulletproof conviction or self-belief, right? But they decided, I can make every shot I take. I can win every game I play in, even though that's not possible. Mm -hmm. No players ever made every shot. No players won every game. Mm -hmm. But the world's best, it's a mindset. It's a decision. That's what the miracle equation is. It's two decisions, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. They made a decision that they would maintain unwavering faith, and they want the ball. And here's the thing. Even if Michael Jordan missed his last seven shots in the game, his faith doesn't waver. He's still in that final huddle with six seconds left on the clock, chance for one more shot to win the whole season. He wants the ball and he believes with unwavering faith that he is going to make that shot. And if he misses that shot, when the next game winner's on the line, he wants the ball. Mm-hmm. It's a way of being, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of living. And what I realize is that if you study the world's most successful people across all fields, this is how they think. And what's cool, What's amazing, what's empowering for all of us, is we have access to these two decisions, right? We can all make that decision. It's just that it's counterintuitive to human nature. It's not normal. We have to make a conscious decision. No one's born with unwavering faith. It's never inherent. It's decided on, and then it's developed.
0: So take, take me through day 7 through 10, then. Oh, yeah, we were talking about a story, huh? <laughs> So, that's um, part of that
1: brain damage, right? That's right, little brain <laughs> that was, damage.
0: That was great, that was all good. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so close the loop for us. Tell, yeah. us, tell us about so it. So, here's how
1: the story ended. And it really is in miraculous fashion. I don't know why this is. Well, I, we'll get back to that. So, here's the story. So, on um, day eight, I went out and I sold like 3,700 bucks. It, it was my biggest day so far of the push, put me over 10,000 for, for the contest. Uh, and I'm like, little much needed momentum boost, right? But do the, do the math, it's the people, way right? I'm still 10 grand away with two days. Yeah. So in eight days, I sold 10 grand, and now I have to sell 10 grand in two days. Yeah. So again, if I was not operating with this miracle equation, I'd have been like, dude, there's, like, there's no way. Statistically, there's no way. Um, and there's, what, you know, there's the law of averages that we learned in selling, mm-hmm. and then I call this the law of miracles, where you operate on a different plane when you tap into these two decisions. Mm-hmm. And so, went out the next day, sold $4,000. Now I'm at 14 grand. Went out the last day, sold another $3,000. i went at $17,000, push periods over. The next morning, I'm supposed to be on a bus at 7 a.m. going to the conference. And I'm going, oh, wow, I feel pretty good. But, and, and I was about, about to rest on my laurels and go, man, seventeen k, that was huge, right? I can't believe I pulled up, you know, what I did in the last three days. Yeah. I called my manager. I'm like, dude, it's not over. I, I committed. And I affirmed this over and over throughout the entire, you know, 10 days that I'm committed to give it everything I have until the last moment. Well, the last moment hadn't arrived. And I called Frank and I said, Frank, my manager, I said, man, I know we're, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm a leader on the team, I know I'm, I'm, it's important that I'm there, but I've given it everything I have, and I've got room for two appointments in the morning if you let me miss the meeting and drive up on my own. And Frank, like, you know, he sensed the conviction in the past, you know, he's like, yeah. Hal, one time, man, you're getting a pass. Get to work. I was like, thank you. Got on the phone, scheduled two appointments. Right? So the odds of selling two appointments. Three grand, two appointments. You know, I mean, it's not very good. Right. But I was on a roll, and I'm like, maybe this is going to happen. I go to my first appointment. I'm all jazzed up. I'm in the car driving there. I'm doing that miracle mantra. All right, this is it. I'm committed. Everything I have, let's do this. Go to the first appointment. Knock on the door. Nobody's there. No show. She's gone. I wait around for like an hour. She's gone. She forgot about me. I'm like, this can't be happening. This, come on. Like, you know, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, no. And I go to the last appointment, and... I knock on the, I'm like, this is it. Three. I don't know how I'm gonna sell 3,000. Like our biggest set, it was 1,500 bucks at the time. Right. How am I gonna sell $3,000 on one appointment? I don't know. I go to the last appointment, knock on the door. The door answers. And it's a, it's a woman answers the door and I go, oh, thank God. And I, I say hello, but she had an accent. It was not, it was a, a European accent, not the one that I set the appointment with. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe, I don't know. She's a friend. I said, hey, is Carol here? And she says, uh, no, she, she left this morning, and she's gone all for the day. Oh my God. I go, we had an appointment. She calls Carol. Carol goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot, but I'm, I'm across, I can't be home for hours. Yeah. It's kidding me. And so the lady says, can I do anything to help you? And I says, I'm thinking, the, the lady, she tells me she's on vacation for her brother's 50th birthday party. And I'm thinking, the lady on vacation from Europe yeah. is not going to buy $3,000 in knives. Yeah. And so I, I go. Don't even know if
0: shipped overseas at that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, I would have to deliver them myself. I don't know. And yeah. so uh, I said, uh, you know, she offers to help, and I say, you know, thank you, but but no, thank you. I think I don't want to waste her time or mine. And and as I'm about to, like right after I say that, I have this like aha, and I go, wait a minute you committed to give it everything you have until the last possible moment, and this nice lady's offering to help you, Mm -hmm. and the last moment has not arrived. You've got an hour and a half until the last moment's arrived. And I go, oh, actually, ma'am, I had, it was just this feeling of like, you know, weirdness, and I go, would you mind? And so I go in, and I'm like, extraordinary effort, and I do the best go presentation I have ever done in my life. I'm enthusiastic, I'm passionate, right, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is probably pointless, but I gotta give it my all, maybe. Maybe there's a miracle that I haven't even, I don't know about. Rob, what she tells me toward the end of the presentation or, or throughout the duration blows my mind. Two things. Number one, she goes, You know, it's, uh, it's interesting that you're showing me these high end knives right now. My husband and I were just at a cutlery store a week ago, right before we came to America, mm-hmm. and we were about to buy this high end set of Henkel knives. Mm-hmm. And she said, We had this weird feeling that we should just, we could just say, Let's wait till our trip's over and get them when we come back what are the odds of the wrong person in front of me having just been in the market for knives and decided not to buy them? And then she says, you know what? My brother's 50th birthday party is coming up and our family's been looking for the perfect gift for him and we just can't find it. We don't know what to get him. What do you think his passion in life was, Rob? His favorite hobby? Probably cooking. Cooking. (laughs) That's what she tells me. And I'm going, I'm just getting tingles. I'm like, this is crazy. She buys not one, but two of the Cutco Ultimate sets, our biggest set, yeah. puts me over $3,000 for the day, 20000 for push, and that was, the, that was where, that's why I called it the Miracle Equation, because it felt like a miracle. The irony is, if anybody follows my career, they go, oh, he's doing the Miracle Equation, like a spin-off, The Miracle Morning. Yeah. No, no, the Miracle Equation was, uh, was a concept I named six years before The Miracle Morning was even a thought or an idea. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, to wrap up the story, I started teaching it to every one of my, because I coached all these other reps, and I started teaching it to all my colleagues. One, after one, after one, they started ha- selling, and, and, and the first one, Jerry Azinger says, Hal, I, I really want to sell 15,000 for push. I've never done it. I've been working for the company for like, like six years. And I said, Jerry, I will not coach you to sell 15,000, but I'll coach you to sell 20,000 because I believe you can. Mm-hmm. Dude, all I did was tell her the story I just told you. That's it. I just told her the miracle equation. I said, Jerry, if you commit to those two decisions, Opportunities and things will happen that you can't predict, and I didn't know. I'm like, I hope this works for her. Like it worked for me. I don't know. And uh, she went out, and on the last day, she sold five thousand dollars, put her at twenty three thousand for the push. I then coached and rep after rep after rep, and that's when I went. This isn't. It's not just a coincidence. This is. And then I started studying successful people. I started looking into my past and go, wow, everything I've overcome or accomplished. I did it by like walking again. Mm-hmm. Doctors said I would never walk again, and I went. I had unwavering faith. I told my family. I told everyone, including the doctors, I'm going to walk again. Yeah. At least I'm going to give it everything I have until I'm proven otherwise. But I believe it's possible, and I'm like that's there's no other option. And then a week later, I took my first step. You know, so so that's I mean that, that's the, the the birth, the origin, if you will, of the the miracle miracle equation.
0: So. It's interesting that you say it and that it, the first seven days went the way that it did and the last three did because I feel like that's pretty common. I feel like the universe or God or whatever you believe in, if you really want to go for something, it always challenges you to see how bad you actually want it. It doesn't give you success in the beginning. It always gives you success at the end. Yeah. But most people usually give up in the beginning. And that's why most people, they're like, oh, I'm really good at starting stuff, but I'm really bad at finishing. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that you you talk about the unwavering faith. So... If someone's out there and they connect to their story, but they're like, I always give up. How do I develop this unwavering faith? Do you have an actual strategy of how they're supposed to develop it?
1: Yeah, uh, in writing is, is the simple answer, right? Like for me, I wrote down my commitment to give it everything I had until the last possible moment to achieve that goal. And then that became what I call the miracle mantra. Um, and, and whenever I would, because uh, here's the thing, right? We follow our thoughts. We follow our words, right? Um, if you, if, you know, when you, when, you, when you get off track toward a goal, uh, or it gets difficult, right? You start thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't feel like it anymore, right? That, that's a thought or a phrase or, or language that takes you out. You're like, well, I'm not going to try because I don't feel like it. I just told myself I don't feel like it. So in writing, having your, your mantra, your miracle mantra, which says, I am committed to, and there's a few ways you can word it. I'll give you the simple version, right? But I'm committed to give it everything I have to reach my goal every single day until the last possible moment, no matter what, there is no other option. That's the general idea you're reinforcing that I am committed to give it everything I have until the last moment, with, and there's no other option. Another caveat to that is I'll sometimes add in there, I'm committed to give it everything I have until the last possible moment, regardless of my results along the way, no matter what, there is no other option. Because that's the thing, is our results along the way are usually what derail us, yes. you know, and like you said. In fact, I mean, that's almost word for word how I put it in the book, is I talk about how, um, that uh, most of us, you know, we, we give up ahead of time, and uh, when things aren't going well, mm-hmm. but it's, the, it's only those people, c- c- oh, that's what I, I'm sorry, the, the wording you use, I say the universe tests us. Yeah. I don't exactly know what it is, but it was with every person I coached. Mm-hmm. Every person, it was almost exa- always the same. It was they were never on track for their goal, and it was going into the final day, sometimes the final hour. Yeah. Right? Like for me, it was the final appointment. And if I would have given up anywhere along the way, I would have never reached the goal. And yeah, like I said, most people don't. So that mantra is the first piece second piece, I talk about in the book, how to form an accountability team or at least develop an accountability partnership with somebody. Hmm. I'm a big believer in the fact that accountability is how we can raise our, you know, raise our level of performance. Yeah. And if you look at the best in the world, uh, you look at athletes, you look at CEOs, very few of them don't have accountability, and almost none. Right? Sh- show me a-, a world champion athlete that doesn't have a coach. I-, I don't know that they exist, right? Whether you're a golfer, every, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, at the peak of anyone's career, they've got a coach and they always credit their coach to their success. You know, and you look at the, you look at a CEO, a CEO at a, at a fortune 500 company, he's not just answering to himself. Yep. He's answering to an executive staff. He's answering to, uh, often an executive assistant. He's answering to a board of advisors. He's answering to shareholders. And if it wasn't for all those points of accountability, cause we all don't feel like doing it all the time, right? We all feel like giving up. And so, the, you know, take the CEO and he's going, man, I don't feel like doing this, but he goes, I've got a meeting on Tuesday, and I've got a, I've got a, I have to do this because I have to answer to them. Yeah. So I really believe it's one of the most important components. It literally can make or break your success is that you've got to, uh, yeah, you have to be self-accountable. Everything hinges on that, obviously. But, but having a system, a, a source of accountability outside of ourselves to hold us accountable, uh, I think, can make all the difference in the world. That's how you get yourself to follow through.
0: Well, I like that you said that most you know we don't always believe in ourselves because I think that that's a big misconception of people who want to be successful when they look at successful people as they think, oh, they've just they just must always believe in themselves. And I think most of the time it's that that they don't believe in themselves, but what they do is they just say, "All right, here's what I need to do. I'll put, like you said, the end the faith into it, but then also it's just, I'm just going to work and then just see what happens. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I know that we were talking about confidence earlier where it's, you know, the, the, the loop of, the way I explained it was confidence, and you explain it a little bit different in the book, is nobody's born confident. Confidence comes from results. And then results give you a little bit more confidence. Mm-hmm. And then you get more results. And you get a little bit more confidence. So with the, the loop that you were talking about, the feedback loop that's in the book, uh, walk us through that because I think that's, people that are out there, they're like, I'm not confident. I've never done this. I've still, you know, I've worked a desk job my entire life, and I want to go do something completely <laughs> different. There's no proof that I can go out and do this. Um, walk us through the, the,
1: the feedback loop you're talking yeah, about. It's yeah, called the faith effort feedback loop, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's these two decisions, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And, and I'll say this, by the way. The two decisions are deceivingly simple in their explanation, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you maintain unwavering faith. You put forth extraordinary effort. You're like, okay, got it. Like, what else, right? So they're deceivingly simple in their explanation, but they're extremely rare in their execution, right? Because they are counter to our human nature. And so there's two parts to unwavering faith, and and both of them are equally as important. The first is you have to establish it, right? You have to establish the faith that you can do something that you have no evidence that you can do. Um, And often you can do that by looking at another person. Like if any other human being on the planet has done something or something similar to what you want to do, that's evidence that it's possible for you. Right, if you're a human being and they're a human being, we're all born with unlimited potential and all born with no skills, right? <laughs> so, so we all start at the same place, yeah. and they just took—I mean—they took a leap of faith. They tried something that they were afraid of, right? Um, and like I teach my son all the time, you know, he's six, and I always say, Halston, that you know, that it's uh, or confidence, courage. I say, right, is it's not that you're not afraid. Because he has his fears of you know being alone or doing certain things at night, and I say you know right, fear—it's not the absence of fear; it's that you you do the things you're afraid of, mm-hmm. and so um, like your point about how you develop confidence is you know you do things that you're not confident in, and you fail and you fail and your confidence even might waver, mm-hmm. but then you 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 get a win and you go oh I can do it right—you get a little bit of confidence, and then those build on each other over a long period of time. So anyway, the the faith effort feedback loop is that the two parts of faith is you establish it first and foremost and like i said with like with my example my push period story with cutco i didn't really believe it so you don't have to really believe it you're establishing it because you want a better life
0: I you want that to be part successful right there to, to to cut in is probably what makes people be like oh, okay i don't have to believe in myself cuz to be honest with you i don't yeah that's how a lot of people feel so i wanted to cut in and say that because most people are probably out there and like Okay, so I don't have to believe in myself. I just have to follow this simple formula, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's it. It's a strategy for success. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like if you were shooting free throws, right? And and you know, and someone and the coach was like, "Hey, you know, have faith that you're going to make it. Tell yourself you're going to make it, right? Tell yourself you're going to make every single shot that you take." Mm-hmm. The person's like, "Well, dude, but I'm I i do not think that I don't really believe that." Yeah. And he goes, "Well, no, no, no." you're not going to make every shot you take. But if you tell yourself you're going to make every shot you take, you'll make way more shots mm-hmm. than if you let your self-doubt rule your thinking. For sure. And that's what, the, that's what unwavering Faith is all about, is this is a, a conscious decision. It's not, an, it's not a 100% impeccable, you can't fail, right? No, it's, it's a conscious decision so that you win more and that you win bigger than you've ever won before. Yeah. So first you establish the faith. And then the decision that it's unwavering means that no matter what the results are along the way, you continue to affirm, I'm committed to give it everything I have. I can achieve this goal. I'm going to achieve this goal. There's no other option. You know, I'm going to make this shot. And If you miss the shot, the, the faith doesn't waver. The mantra doesn't waver. And then here's the thing. When you establish unwavering faith, you can do something. You will start to increase your belief. Even if it, if it starts out at a zero, maybe it'll get to a three on a scale of 100, Right, right? But a three is better than a zero. And now that you're at a three or a five or a ten or whatever out of a hundred, now you're compelled to put forth effort because now you've started to consciously believe that this thing is a possibility for you, this thing you want to accomplish or overcome. And now you've got, you've got a little drive to put forth a little effort. And then when you put forth a little effort, it fuels your faith because you go, wow, I'm actually doing it. I'm moving forward. Like I took three steps forward and then I took eight steps back, but I took, uh, now I'm taking more steps forward. And you eventually right you you start to move forward you start to see some results and then that fuels your faith right because now you start to believe a that you're capable and b that you deserve it because you only deserve something if you put forth the effort that is required to move you in the direction of that thing that you want and so that's the faith effort feedback loop when you establish faith it propels you into effort when you put forth effort it reinforces your faith and it just keeps going round and round and round and each time your faith is strengthened by your effort and your effort is strengthened by your faith. And as you keep moving forward, like I said, this isn't a one-time, I'm gonna apply this to a goal. No, you apply it to a goal so that you can develop this as a way of living, a way of being, a way of thinking. And then it's how you show up in every area of your life. Right? You take a, a, a world champion in anything, right? Like their mindset, you put him in front of, you know, you put LeBron James in front of a ping pong table. I guarantee his mind is, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to win. Right, And you're like, no, no, no. You suck at ping pong. He's like, oh, but I'll get better. Right? Yep. And then he, he loses the first three games, but he's, he starts to develop. But dude, I, I scored a point last time. Yep. Right? That effort fuels that faith. Mm-hmm. And the, the longer you do it, the more you believe it and the more real it becomes. And it just changes who you are and how you approach your life.
0: So talk to me about affirmations because you talk, you've said it a few times with, with affirming. But then also I know when we were speaking earlier, you were talking about you actually had affirmations for when you had cancer. Around the miracle equation as well. So this isn't like you just decided to write a book and you have a couple good stories where you felt felt like it fit in. Like this is actually something that you affirmed to yourself while you're at cancer. So what? Talk to me about that, but then also talk to me why you think affirmations are so important for people.
1: Yeah, I want to, and I want to touch on. If I forget that, let me just touch on this really quick. You mentioned it's not like I just wrote a book, blah blah blah. So I had uh, a publisher reach out to me uh, in December, last December, and they they wanted Penguin Random House wanted to asked my agent if I had any book ideas, and they wanted to have a call with me. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I had a handful of book ideas, and I shared the ones that I thought were the most marketable first, like that I thought they would like. And I saved the miracle equation for last. I said, look, I don't know if this is marketable. Like, it's, it's a, you know, at first blush, at first glance, it feels a little woo-woo. Yeah. When you explain it, it's the opposite. Like, the whole book is all about, like, this is a practical, results-oriented approach to goals, yeah. right, that's revolutionary. It's not just sit back and, and, and make a vision board. Like, it's very anti-woo-woo. But I said, it, but I don't know if it's marketable, because just the name, the miracle equation, sounds kind of funky, right? Yeah. And so I said, but this is on my heart. This is a strategy I've lived by for 20 years. It's how I just beat cancer. And this is the book I'd most like to write that I believe can help the most amount of people and, and, and help them in a really profound way. But I didn't think the publisher was going to go for it. Right. I didn't know how to pitch it, you know? And, but I told them about it, and, and maybe they just sensed my passion, I don't know. Oh, yeah. But, but that, that's how it came to be. And so I just wanted to mention that because it really is important to me. I do feel um, the miracle morning is my baby. And I really feel like, you know, I have two kids. I really, that's like kind of the analogy I felt to myself is like, this is my next child, yeah. right? Like, I don't think one's more important than the other. Um, they both are important. So, you uh, know, I just wanted to mention that. Um, and as far as affirmations go, affirmations have a bad rap, you know, and, and I'm really high on affirmations. Yeah. Uh, and I always say that th- they've been taught very poorly or very ineffectively for, I don't know, decades, centuries. I mean, by these self-help pioneers, That tell you to either lie to yourself, you know, just tell yourself you're amazing or great or thin or rich, and just say I am rich, I am wealthy, I am a millionaire, I am, until you believe it, and money will just start flowing from all of these crazy places. Well, and that's the second aspect, right? So affirmations are taught either where you lie to yourself and you tell yourself something that you want to be true, but it's not yet true. The problem with that is if it's not true and you say I am wealthy, but your bank account is is negative, right? Your subconscious, the the reality is truth will always prevail, and it goes you're not wealthy. You're That's broke. You're, you're like, shut up. I'm doing affirmations, right? Um, and then the second part is that, uh, where was I going to, oh yeah, the second problem with affirmations is, is that they teach you to use this passive flowery language that yeah. makes you feel good in the moment, but it's actually counterproductive to producing results. So for example, you kind of said it, right? I'm a money magnet. Money flows to me effortlessly and in abundance, right? Like, no, that's not how money works. Do, does, doesn't Go show me a millionaire unless they inherited it, yeah. right? I'm pretty sure that any millionaire had to work hard, yeah. add value to the world, and then they were compensated for that value. So it's counterproductive because if you say, I'm a money magnet, money flows to me, then you just sit back and wait for that to happen and it doesn't ever happen, yep. right? Those people are cash poor that use those kind of affirmations. So the way that I teach affirmations is very simple, but all an affirmation is is, it's a reminder Of what matters most to you to guide your focus and guide your behavior in the direction of what you need to do to achieve what matters to you. Mm -hmm. So you want to achieve a goal, don't affirm that it's already happened. Don't affirm you're already wealthy. Don't don't tell yourself that the goal is just gonna flow into your life and fall into your lap, right? Affirm what you're committed to. Affirm why that's meaningful to you. Affirm what specific actions you're committed to taking to achieve that goal and affirm when you're committed to taking those actions. In fact, that's like my four steps, right? Is number one, what you're committed to. Number two, why it's meaningful to you. Why that goal, that dream, that reality is meaningful. Number three, what actions you're committed to taking. And then number four, when you're gonna take them. And now you're affirming in a way where you're programming your mind to achieve what it is that you want in your life. And if you look at the miracle mantra, although it might be worded slightly different, you know, it kind of encapsulates all of that. It's, you know, I'm committed, to give it everything I have, and you can get specific, I'm committed to make 20 phone calls a day, write two pages a day, run 20 minutes a day, right? I mean, whatever, right, I'm committed to blank. What are you committed to do to achieve blank result? No matter what, there's no other option, right? And so, yeah, for me an affirmation, in the simplest form, you're just keeping your focus on what it is that matters most, and you're wording it in a way where you're reinforcing your commitment to do whatever it takes to get there. So whether you call it an affirmation or a mantra or anything else, you know, that's what it's about.
0: Is there a certain amount of times that you would recommend, so someone's out there, they're listening, they've never done affirmation before, they've seen The Secret and they're like, ah, this is too woo woo for me. I don't think my, or maybe even they tried it. That would even be better. They've tried it before and then they realize that money didn't flow freely to them in abundance the way that they thought it was, you know, pitched to them in watching The Secret. how often should somebody do this and is there a certain amount where you're like ah, i would stick it to two or three really key affirmations or is it just make as many as you want
1: yeah quality over quantity for sure i think yeah. applies here right because you know our focus can only be focused on so much at, at any one time now i have more affirmations than i can count but i don't read all of them every day if i did they'd have no very little effect right um the idea is right. If you, you know, if you, for example, if you want to get better at shooting free throws, I keep going to the basketball example. Yeah. Um, but you want to get better at shooting free throws. Uh, you shoot free throws mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like you work on skill development in an area of your life that you really want to improve. Right. Um, and if you want to improve free throws, and you shoot three free throws, and then you shoot three three pointers, and then you shoot three jumpers, and then you shoot three layups, yeah. and then you go back and shoot three free throws, and then shoot three three point right. That's the idea of doing affirmations that are all over the place. Right. Um, so for me, in the book, I talk about identifying, clarifying your, what I call your mission. You know, and in life, we all set goals, and I think goals, I think there's, a, there, there's an ineffective paradigm around goals. Um, and and the, the, the idea of setting a goal, goal, setting goals is fun, right? Like, people love setting goals because they're imagining like, ooh, I want this. I want to accomplish that. But how many of us, we set goals, and then we don't achieve those goals. It's almost like programmed in. Like I'm going to set a bunch of goals this year, and just like last year, and the year before, and the year before that, I'm probably not going to achieve them. But then next year, at least I'll get to do that fun exercise around New Year's where I set the new goals, yeah. right?
0: Imagine what my life could be.
1: Exactly. But it never will be. Yeah, I'm they're gonna... more like fantasies. Yep. And so I I believe very strongly in the power of language. Right. The language that we use, both for ourselves and other people. Right. If I say I don't like you, uh, or if I don't like someone, versus I absolutely hate their guts. Very different language produces different emotions inside of us and a different reality for us. The word mission, uh, and I started using that back in 2004, I think, when I set a goal for the year, and I just, I had like 10 goals, I did my normal goal setting exercise, and I don't remember what book it was or what conversation, but I decided I've got to get clear on which of these goals is my mission. In other words, I want to achieve all 10 of them, but if I could only achieve one, like I have to decide what is my priority because what usually we do is we have 10 goals, or five goals, or eight goals, and we make like, you know, five to seven percent progress on each one, and, and maybe two to three on the ones that we're, we're kind of scared of, and then just, we don't even, we, we just disregard the ones that there's a lot of fear around, right? And then if five months goes by, and we get bored of those, we're not really seeing a lot of results, so we just, we're like, eh, and we set new goals, right? But then we keep approaching life with this diverted focus. It's, it's the same, you know, it's like multitasking, but on the goal level. And so the idea of mission, like mission, the word mission, it holds a very different weight. Like, you know, the military, they, they execute missions, right, that are life or death. It's a mission. It's not a goal to fly into a country and not die. It, it's a freaking mission, right? Humanitarian organizations, they, they execute missions to save lives. Like, there's a different weight to a mission. So in the book, um, I talk about identifying your mission. And... It's the idea of getting really clear on, okay, if you've got all these goals, right, you can set as many goals as you want, but what is your mission? What is the one goal that you're going to focus your energy and attention on? That, and, and for me, this is the way that it works. In my schedule, I am not allowed to invest energy in my other eight, nine goals until I've gotten the commitment that I need to get done for, for my mission, right? Um, and uh, I forgot where we're going with that, but yeah.
0: Well, I've got, I've got a follow-up question yeah. that's, that I think is important with it. So <clears throat> I think that, that people listening to it, they're, they're like, this is practical. It makes sense. But the one thing that I think people could, I'm thinking from their minds, what could they still be thinking? And the, the thing that I'm thinking is, it makes sense for, for, for hitting goals or going after missions like you're saying. But how does this relate to overcoming cancer? Because I know that you and I are both really big on mind-body connection. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people aren't out there. You know, they might not be. Some of them are. A lot of them, they're all over the place. Sure. <clears throat> how does this work with how you use this to overcome cancer?
1: Yeah. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, like I said, the first day, I'm kind of you know digging into my toolkit, right? Like, okay, well, what, what, what can I do to overcome this? And the miracle equation that I had been practicing for 20 years in, in different capacities. And because I, I, even though I didn't know the miracle equation when I took my first step, when I walked again, I was, you know, I was able to look back, you know, it was a year later that I created it for that, that sales contest. I did look back and go, oh, that's why I walked again, right? I had unwavering faith that I would. And there's a lot of, there's so much science now on the mind-body connection. A documentary called Heal, if you're, yeah, you're watching it, right? Yeah, yeah, me too. It's fantastic. Um, we should have watched it together. Uh, but, uh, but 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 so, so when I had cancer, I went, okay, this is how uh, I've, in the past, me and everyone that I've ever studied, how they have overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. Uh, I thought, this is how I'm going to beat cancer. Um, I, I then read a book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles by a famous oncologist, Dr. Bernie Siegel. And he talked about the one thing... That every can you know he's treated hundreds or thousands of cancer patients at this point I think he's retired now. He said the one thing that every single cancer patient had in common was that they made a decision that they were going to live no matter what. There was no other option for them. Right. When I was reading that, I was like, wow, this is very similar language to how I described the miracle equation. And it just reinforced like he says, this is what every survivor that defied the odds that were given you know, very grim chances of surviving. And so, I, 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 like I said, mind-body connection, I believed in that. And I thought, I, I'm, you know, I, I believed I would walk again, even though doctors said I wouldn't, and I did. I believe I'll beat cancer, and I, and I believe I will, right? There was no other option for me. Um, and I used to visualize, I mean, I would visualize, because uh, I would put in my affirmations, oh, that was the question about the affirmations, but I would put in my affirmations, I am committed to beating cancer and living to be a, 100, living a long, healthy life to 100 years old with my family. And then I would visualize my 100th birthday. I would do this almost every day. Visualize my 100th birthday, and I would visualize, keep in mind, my 7-year-old daughter would be 70. It's really weird to envision your 7-year-old daughter at 70. My 4-year-old son would be 67, right? And I would imagine that, and I would feel it in every fiber of my being. I would also go outside every morning at sunrise, and I would look at the, uh, I would watch the sunrise, and I would do something called sun gazing. And ironically, when I looked at my cells under a microscope, and I saw this holistic doctor at one point, um, cancer cells they look like the, you know, a healthy cell is a perfect circle, and they, it, you see all these kind of black dots and things in the circle. It's kind of it's broken and it's it's not perfect. Uh, but the sun, I realized, wow, that looks like a perfect cell. And so i would look at that and then i would visualize every cell in my body right and there's i mean there's enough i can't quote all the science right now but there's so much science right where they've shown that your thoughts manipulate your dna your cells so on and so forth the placebo effect there you go um and so the so that was the unwavering faith piece right that i reinforced the faith the belief mentally emotionally and physically that I was going to live, that I was going to beat cancer and live a long, healthy life. But then, the other half of the equation is, of course, extraordinary effort. So what I decided to do was, I didn't want to do chemo. Like I'm, a, I'm very, you know, me, I'm very natural, very holistic. The idea of putting this poison in my body, and the chemo I had to do was, it, it was, it's, it's one of the most powerful, horrific chemos that you can go through. I had, I think it was roughly 650 hours of chemo in um, in like eight months. and. Uh, it, it was, It was. I would do four to five hours hooked up to an IV a di- for four to five days every three to four weeks of just nonstop chemo for, you know, for four to five days. So um, so my doctor said, look, there's no holistic practice that's going to cure you. You have to do chemo. And I thought, well, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm putting forth my own extraordinary effort. So I reached out to one of the best holistic cancer doctors in the world. Uh, he treated Suzanne Summers, and she wrote about him in her book. And um, he... Uh, came back to me and said, I have, your cancer is so rare, I have no success healing it, so I'm I'm sorry if I were you, I would just do the traditional treatment. And so you can imagine, I mean, put yourself in those right? So wait a minute. The best holistic cancer doctor in the world, which was the path I wanted to go down with something natural and holistic to build my body up, he can't help me. The best medicine in traditional allopathic medicine is giving me a 10 to 30% chance of surviving. So what am I supposed to do? Like there's, there's nothing, no, no great here. So my decision, no great option, was I'm going to do both. I'm going to do, get, put forth the best, embrace the best that allopathic Western medicine has to offer. I'm going to do the chemo. But I'm also going to do everything, all the research, everything in my power to heal my cancer naturally as if I were only doing the natural and not doing allopathic. So my extraordinary effort looked like this. I took over 70 supplements uh, almost every single day. A few of them I would take every other day or whatever, but almost every day I would take uh, roughly 70 supplements. I did acupuncture. I did an ozone sauna multiple times a week. I did the specific type of massage that's specific to my type of leukemia that I had. Um, I I did uh, probably the most extraordinary effort was I did coffee enemas. Uh, and if you don't know what a coffee enema is, Google it. I won't get too graphic for you, but I'll just say this: there is no more effort, more extraordinary, in my opinion, than sticking a tube up your butt and uh, and shooting a, a, a liter of coffee uh, up there. I'd rather
0: drink it. But I guess, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. People it, learn to different things, right? That's right.
1: My friend got me a, uh, John Broman got me a shirt that says, "I take my coffee in the rear." When I was after I told him about the coffee enemas, but. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, so that was it. I, I put forward, and then I went, I flew around the country and I saw holistic doctors, I did, you know, I was doing research. I read book after book after book, I watched documentaries, like I did everything that I could. And what's what's interesting, and and I don't I can't, you know, I don't know if was this my mindset, was it the unwavering faith? Was it the extraordinary effort? I'd imagine it was the combination of both. But the medical team, my medical team, was blown away, kind of like back when I took my first step, at how my body was healing how I was responding to the chemo. Like I had some horrific side effects for sure. I mean, it's impossible not to, but for the most part, I responded better to this chemo that I would get, you know, what, you know, four days, five days times 24 hours. So 100 hours at a time, I'd get chemo, right? 70 to 100 hours. um, And I'd respond better than someone that would get chemo for an hour or two, you know? And so again, I I just, I I look at that and and then I, you know, I beat the cancer relatively quickly. I, you know, I stayed in remission and, um, yeah, and so, that, so that's how I applied the miracle equation to, to beat cancer.
0: All right, so, so post cancer, there's always a chance cancer can come back and you're in remission at this yeah. point. Um, how are you using it now? Absolutely. I mean, very similarly. Uh,
1: I, have, I have affirmations that I still, that basically are all the same. I'm committed to remaining cancer free for the rest of my life and doing whatever it takes to remain cancer free, right? No matter what, there's no other option. Um, so that's the mindset piece. And, and here's the thing about unwavering faith. Like I said, we all have fear and we all have self-doubt. And depending on our results or experiences or circumstances along the way, often that fear is amplified, the self-doubt is elevated. Um, and, uh, and so unwavering faith and putting it in the form of a mantra or an affirmation, whatever you want to call it, you're, you're, again, it doesn't eliminate the fear. Like That fear is always there. They're the greatest athletes in the world, right? I'm sure there's still a little bit of fear in Michael Jordan or LeBron or whoever's head, right? That, uh, you know, like they know they might miss it. Yeah. They, they've missed shots, but they know they might. That's there, but they drowned out the fear. And that's the thing is you're replacing fear with faith. You're drowning out the fear. So that instead of the fear consuming you, which sadly, that's how most people live, they're overwhelmed with fear. They're consumed with fear. And that's why this is such a mission for me. Like, this has... This miracle equation that I started when I was 20, it's allowed me to live the majority of my life free from fear, or, or, or at least not consumed by it, where fear is a very small part of my world. Right? When I had cancer, the fear would, you know, would, would show up, and I would start crying. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd read a book, or I was in a Facebook group um, of people with my cancer, and I'd see, oh, another person died from it. And you know, of course, I'd go, I, I could die from it. Right? I would get logical and think, I'm sure there are people that were, you know, praying and they had they had faith in God, that God would heal them and they really believed it, and but then they died. Right? I'm like, so, so like so right? It's, there's nothing that's bulletproof. There's nothing guaranteed. And I think most of us live that way. We want guarantee. We want, I'm only going to approach goals that I know that I can achieve. Right? And so, um, so now it's very similar. My, I'm doing affirmations that redirect my focus. When I have fear or self doubt, I pull out my affirmations are on my phone. I pull them out which is not even in my pocket, so I don't know why I just pat my pocket. But, um, but I pull up my affirmations and I read them, and I use the, 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 the unwavering faith yeah. to override that fear. Uh, and then the extraordinary effort is I'm still, I'm not taking 70 supplements a day, but I'm taking about 20 to 30, um, and they're all very organic, right? I mean, I, you know, a lot of time went into finding out which supplements to take and not take and not overwhelming my, overwhelm myself, but um, I still do coffee enemas once a week. I was doing them three times a week during the cancer. Um, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've studied, I've researched, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've watched the Truth About Cancer documentary series, I've watched the Chris Beat Cancer documentary series, and I'm still reading books on staying cancer free, because that was actually something I realized a few months ago, is I let my guard down. And that's what a lot of cancer victims do, is they go, I beat cancer, and they shake their, and they're like, I'm done, right? And then so many people, like you said, the cancer comes back. Um, and I thought, I, I'm not, I don't want to be that statistic. Yeah. So I started, so I, I, I realized, I'm not reading cancer books anymore like I need to be constantly this needs to be part of my part of my mission every day that I'm really hyper aware of this and so um, yeah so for me I'm still doing I'm still doing ozone sauna I do it, I actually bought one for my my house I do it three times a week uh, I don't enjoy it it's really uncomfortable it's not like a sauna where you sit and stretch out and you're literally confined in this one person machine with your head sticking out of it like it's not fun It's like a torture chamber It's like a torture chamber yeah but I do it three times a week that's my extraordinary effort and whenever I don't feel like doing it by the way Part, part of the beauty of this, like I said, it becomes a way of living. Like, as soon as I don't feel like doing something that I know, like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'll be like, eh, I can skip it. I'm like, whoa, whoa. no. I'm committed to extraordinary effort to stay cancer-free for the rest of my life. And that includes doing everything I've decided that I need to do. The extraordinary effort is an, I've just, it's a decision I made. And I, I, I'm going to do it whether I feel like it or not. When the alarm goes off in the morning, if I don't feel like getting out of bed... I'm like, "Ah, I don't feel like it. There's this voice in my head that I've affirmed over and over and over. No, 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 no. I committed to wake up at this time every day, no matter what. There was no other option, right? So it literally it just changes who you are and how you approach life. And it gets at first, it's it's like anything, anything new, a new way of thinking, a new behavior. It's always uncomfortable. It's always right. It's it's always out of our comfort zone, and most people stay in their comfort zone. But the more you get out of it, and the more you do it the easier it becomes and all of a sudden your comfort zone expands and now doing these things, this extraordinary effort isn't that extraordinary, right? You know, but it becomes ordinary for us.
0: So book comes out April 16th, right? Yeah. Yeah. So is it... uh, and I didn't ask you this before, but we'll go ahead and ask you now. Should we put it up before
1: so people can get pre orders? Because that helps for the book sales, right? Yeah, you so, can actually, it's up for pre order now. Okay. Um, so and, uh, it, yeah, the hardcover's up for pre order, the paperback, the Kindle, I think the audiobook's even up for pre order, um, which I recorded, I told you the last two days, I've never recorded an audiobook. I have a narrator that has done all my other 12 books that I've done, yep. all narrated by Rob Actus, who's amazing, and I thought, I'm going to do my own. And uh, that's why my voice, by the way, is very hoarse. Yeah, is, uh, I've been uh, two days uh, in the studio, yeah.
0: So, uh, so they can buy it anywhere, right? So they can
1: buy it, yeah. yeah so so anywhere, Miracle Equation? Miracle Equation, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, Walmart, Target.com. I mean, yeah, everywhere that books are sold.
0: Okay, perfect. So uh, anywhere that books are sold, you can get it. But also, it is good if you pre-order it before. So I'm going to put this episode out. We have a uh, couple weeks now till it comes out. Actually, no, six weeks now till it comes out, right? Uh, about six weeks or so until it comes out. So I'd recommend go get it. Hal Elrod, uh H A L E L R O D. Nailed it. I'm better. Okay, I'm better when I write it down. <laughs> so go get uh, The Miracle Equation by Hal Rod. I appreciate you, man.
1: Yeah, brother. Glad you she you're
0: still cancer free. Glad you overcame it. And uh, go out and order it now. he email from the doctor
1: saying you're
0: cancer free, too. Oh. <laughs> oh, hold on. We can still put that in there. So right. go ahead. What did? Uh,
1: we'll, we'll my go wife ahead and,
0: just... we'll go ahead and. Uh, in, and change this for, for just a second, but we just got a message, too.
1: Yeah, my wife just handed me this literally 31 minutes ago. We got an email from my doctor about two weeks ago. I went and got tested for cancer, which I do every three months. They yep. do a bone marrow biopsy, and uh, he just confirmed, your bone marrow looks great, no evidence of leukemia at all, wow. exclamation point. So still cancer-free, man.
0: Still working. Your yeah. miracle equation miracle still equation still working, baby. So go buy the book, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.